0: To get the latest news, as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea, let's dive in. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Benjamin Pixie is a beekeeper and herbalist who has a lot of beautiful insights to share. He's also my neighbor who lives just up the road. Benjamin has been a treatment-free, bee-centric, sustainable beekeeper since 2007. He is mead maker at Pixie Mead and distiller of honey spirits at Spirit of the Hive. He's a founding member of the Scalitude Pollinator Sanctuary and the Scalitude Community. Well, welcome to the show, Benjamin.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to join.
0: Oh, Good. Yeah. So you're my neighbor. And I was thinking about it because I was actually walking towards your place today we were just talking we have this beautiful sunny day today and the plow had just come through and gotten kind of this, you know the snow and everything removed so I went on a walk and was walking towards your place and you will definitely win the prize for the closest interview <laughs> you know just <laughs> last month I interviewed Ola Tukumba, who was in Kenya at the time and I've interviewed Henriette in Finland so we have some like long distance winners there, but this is, I mean, you're two, three miles from me. So very, very yeah. close. And and just this kind of crazy coincidence to have this wonderful apiarist, mead maker, and herbalist just up the road. So super excited to have you here.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah. So, I always like to start with hearing how you got on the path. And because we're going to be talking about bee medicine, I would love to hear your path as an herbalist and also your path with the bees, too, and just kind of how that all led together.
1: Awesome. So, I was born in Arizona and raised in the suburbs. And I didn't have much interaction with plants and I didn't really think I liked them. And Mm -hmm. I rejected a lot of. My upbringing and chose a life closer to the wild and to nature. And I left home when I was pretty young. I left home for good right after I turned 15 and started traveling and living closer to nature. And that led me to supporting. An occupation camp put on by the american indian movement as a collaboration between five tribes on the colorado river native nations alliance they called themselves and they were fighting a nuclear waste dump that a company called us ecology was attempting to put on mojave sacred land over an aquifer that led into the the colorado river and they started an occupation camp this was in 1998 or 99 and put a call out welcoming non-native supporters to help them protect the land. And I went out there and lived on in the Mojave Desert with Ward Churchill and members of the Native American Church and the American Indian Movement, helping protect that land and tending a sacred fire that had been fed with prayers and tobacco since the occupation of Wounded Knee in the 70s. And it was a life-changing experience. And while I was out there, I got sick and There was a Diné medicine man named Curly who told me to go out and heal me. And I didn't know how to ask the desert to heal me. And so I walked around for hours. And eventually I felt this plant calling to me. And I sat with it and felt the magic of its emerald green leaves just singing to me. And after spending quite a bit of time together, I felt called to harvest some leaves and make some tea with them. And when I got back and brewed the tea, it was the most god awful thing I'd ever tasted. It was waxy and made me want to gag and I felt better. And that was my introduction to the plant medicine world. That was silk bush, the chaparral, hideondia, gobernadora, laria tridentata is her Latin name. And it led to many years of study and I Got a hold of Michael Moore's book, Medicinal Plants of the Pacific West, pretty early in my career as an herbalist and started harvesting and making medicine. Poplar Buds was one of my first wild crafting adventures. And it'd been a couple years of reading that book from cover to cover and being like, I'm still learning things that inspired me to want to study with Michael Moore. So I attended the Southwest School of Botanical Medicine in 2004 and studied with Michael. And had studied some elder at, named Subier Bruce Miller, the Tuaduk tribe on the Olympic Peninsula, and also with Elise Crone, and worked for the tribe over there. And that's a bit of my background as an herbalist. The, I came to the bees through through mead, through honey wine. I made my first honey wine when I wasn't old enough to, to buy it. And I, it was a fireweed honey mead. And I ended up sharing it with friends up in the Cascade Mountains near where the bees had made that honey. And I felt myself as the messenger of this golden, bubbling, sweet spirit of delight. And I liked it. And so I just dove in really deep and I started making a lot of mead and wildcrafting herbs and making infused honeys. And that led to me work trading with beekeepers in exchange for honey and then catching my first swarm in 2006. And once I got my hands on the bees and started looking at them and feeling their magic, it that was the beginning. And the next year I, I started the Pixie Honey Company and got 40 colonies and it, I'll probably keep bees until I die. I love them so much. I look at them as the original herbalists and they have so much to teach us about not only plant medicine but being in service to that which we which feeds us and to working together
0: Mm, i loved hearing all of that benjamin so much that i didn't know um for somebody you know who i've known for a while and um it also reminded me of the first time i think is the first time i met you it was well before you'd moved to be my neighbor but it was in the same location it was at earth skills gathering saskatoon uh gathering and saskatoon circle and i remember meeting you like basically with a bottle of meat in your hand and being lots of revelry and fun and i we had a mutual friend Lynx uh bilden who's gonna be on the show in a couple of months so yeah i just kind of brought all that back but i really it was a wonderful just to hear how you found your place within the plants and the bees. So thank you so much for sharing that. I also read that same book by Michael Moore from cover to cover, but did not have the chance to study with him. So yeah, that's wonderful. Well, so I love that you call bees the first herbalists because you're going to talk about propolis today, which is like not technically an herb, but I think herbalists are very, like we cast a large net when we talk about herbs. Like I had Asia on the podcast a while ago, we talked about mushrooms, which we like a lot of herbalists just call mushrooms herbs, which is not at all correct, but just kind of is this umbrella statement. So propolis totally works within that too. But I think we should probably start by just talking like, what is propolis?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So propolis is the quintessential bee medicine. And, polis means city, and pro means proceeding or in support of. I liberally translate propolis as as the walls of the city or the defense of the city, the the benefit of the city. And I I look at the beehive as as a superorganism, but also as a city. Um, at the height of the summer, you have sixty thousand bees living in cells, being being born in cells that are adjacent. Every cell shares walls with other cells, almost like an apartment in the city. One year, I named all my beehives after cities. And propolis is the one plant substance or the few plant substances that the bees choose to be their medicine. So propolis is composed of primarily resins. And the bees gather propolis from many, many different plants. And propolis has so many constituents, up to a hundred and 50 constituents. And around here, the bees primarily gather from poplar and cottonwood and aspen. But I've seen bees gather from maple, fir, hemlock, mesquite, oak, willow. They will gather resins from many, many different sources. And they propolis can be 5% pollen, 5% waxes. And also there's some polyphenols and bioflavonoids that the bees transform that are different from the way they are in the plants. The bees add some enzymes and mix all this together to be the immune system of the hive. And so propolis is, the bees use it, they fill every space that's too small for them to make honeycomb with propolis. And they also, the Greeks had four or five different words for propolis. And one of them was cosmosis. This is the word that cosmetics come from. And that type of propolis is the initial varnish layer that the bees add to the foundation and the edges of the entire hive. And I think of propolis as, as a boundary medicine. The bees have lived in holes in trees, in wounds in trees, in holy places in trees for millions of years before humans have made wooden or clay or log hives for them to, to habitat. And so they use plant medicine to, to treat this wound in their, in their host, their very gracious guests. And from the foundation, they build honeycomb out of transformed honey made into beeswax. And they add a layer of propolis over the wax which gives it its strength and stability and also a medicinal layer so one pound of beeswax can hold up to 25 pounds of honey and part of that is because of the the fiber network and strength of the propolis when you see really fresh honeycomb it's often like white or a really light color with a red rim around the hexagonal cells and that's propolis that's helping hold it together so those are a couple of functions of propolis within the hive. The bees will also use it to make their entrance smaller or to channel air. And the, they will also use it to, to mummify invaders. If a critter sneaks into the hive to steal honey and it, and the bees sting it to death and it's too big for them to remove, they can't have it in their body essentially rotting. So they will, they will coat it in propolis and wax and again, boundary medicine, you know? propolis is for the beehive, the, the glue that holds everything together, but also this concentration of plant immune systems that the bees collaborate on because they do add their own enzymes, which transform the plant, plant secretions to become this synthesis that is like nothing else in the world, really.
0: Wow, I feel like I just learned like countless things that I did not know before. That is so fascinating, <laughs> just about propolis. And I love that that's one of the amazing things that bees make that we then get to work with. Yeah, so fascinating. And so you mentioned that bees, there's like, like propolis. There's a lot of resin there. So it's mostly you mentioned there was pollens and stuff. But it's mostly resins. It's a very sticky, dense substance. I'm totally just personally curious. You mentioned a lot of trees that they might harvest those resins from. Have you ever seen them harvesting from ponderosa pine because we live with a lot of ponderosa pines here?
1: I haven't ever seen them harvesting from ponderosa pine. That doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, but the propolis mm-hmm. that we harvest here doesn't taste at all piney. Yeah. You know, point. like my my experiential knowledge of the bees is mostly based on what I can see and taste. And you know, I read a lot of things in in books about what bees gather or what bees gather this or that from and a lot of it i do not see supported by my own eyes and taste buds and i feel like part of that is because there are so many environmental micro nuances that affect the ways plants produce nectar, pollen, and resins, and the abundance in which they are available for bees. And so it changes what bees gather from place to
0: place. Mm, That makes sense. And I love there's all the different layers that we get to learn from the bees in that regard. I'm curious now that we have a sense of what propolis is, how do you like to work with propolis as medicine?
1: Yeah, every way that I can. When I harvest propolis, it's usually scraping the edges of the hive when I'm doing hive inspections during the height of the summer. From from spring to fall, when I'm opening the hives, if they're abundant and growing and they have resources, I will scrape some of the, the glue that holds the lid down and gather that. This year I did... All of my honey extracting in one day for about a hundred colonies, I used a friend's setup and that day I laid out a tarp and scraped all the boxes while the frames were moving through the extracting machine and got all the propolis from the edges. And I harvested about five pounds of propolis that day, which is, it's a lot. It takes a lot. I was reading the average that a hive produces in a year is about four to eight ounces. And you know, Sometimes our hives will produce more because we give them more space in between the frames. We'll put nine frames in a 10-frame box so that they can draw them out more. And often when I'm harvesting propolis for them more often throughout the year, I notice that the bees are not going to go without it. So they'll send out less nectar foragers and more foragers for propolis. And that way the the propolis supply in the hive is still there. But I think of it as a way that I can increase the bees' dosage, if you will, they're not necessarily imbibing the propolis, but they're spending more time making it and more time interacting their bodies with the plant's immune systems. And so, you know, Donna Chesner, Michael Moore's partner, when when colony collapse disorder was first identified, and I, I called her to ask her, like, what should I do for the bees? She was like, I wish we could get them to eat their own propolis because it's such an amazing immune stimulant, antiviral, antibacterial boundary medicine. And so I feel like harvesting propolis often inspires the bees to spend more time and energy interacting with those substances and making it, which in theory increases their dosage, their consumption of it. And so once I've harvested propolis, my favorite ways to extract it and use it in the body are through alcohol. Resins are not very consumable by the body without a solvent to break them down. And so I... As a mead maker, I, I I believe in the power of honey. And you know, the bees transform the briefest part of a plant into this eternal gold that lasts forever, nectar to honey. And then as a mead maker, I transform that to wine. And then as a distiller, we transform that wine into spirit. And so this is a hundred and ninety-proof honey shine that we we make with our at our distillery, Spirit of the Hive, and we use to make tinctures. And so once I harvest propolis, I store it in the freezer because, like you said, it's it's gummy, it's gluey. When it's warm, it has the texture of, like, peanut butter. It can be a real pain in the butt to work with. And any equipment that I use for working with propolis, I try to just dedicate to propolis because cleaning is a real pain. And, you know, honey shine or hydrogen peroxide work great to clean your equipment or your kitchen after you've processed propolis because just hot water and soap is not gonna do it. You need something, the resin. So storing the propolis in the freezer, transforming it into a tincture, which is the recipe I shared. And we also make throat spray and propolis honey liqueur that we also have on our website, which is a delicious and magical three-part extract. We do a tincture, an infused honey, and a tea of the propolis, combine them all together to make a 25% alcohol preparation that is sweet and is a honey-based alchemical extract that carries the propolis to you in a way that's, that's less intense than the tincture.
0: Oh wow, that was awesome. <laughs> Lots to go through there. Let's let's mention your recipe first. So you've shared this propolis tincture recipe which is like at first glance a very simple recipe, you're combining a couple ingredients, but as you were talking about it's very important to have the alcohol as that intermediary to break down the propolis. So in there you're recommending a very high proof alcohol like your spirit medicine, which I just love that it's like, it comes from honey and then it's, you know, kind of breaky. it's just all be related, but that's really essential. Like you cannot use like brandy or something like it really needs to be a super high proof in order to make that work. So that recipe folks can download at the show notes at com, And it's just a great teaching tool and sharing people. And I love you give some help in there too, of how people might find propolis that they can tincture it for themselves as well.
1: I've had really bad luck as my business grew trying to source propolis from online substances, trying to buy the raw resin, just because it changes so much from uh, ecosystem to ecosystem. I really recommend finding a local beekeeper and getting propolis that's near you from bees that you can can interact with yourself as opposed to just buying it from halfway across the country or the world. And maybe it's partly that I'm biased. And I think that our propolis is here in the Pacific Northwest, both on the West side and East side of the mountains just tastes so much better than any others that I've had from anywhere else. But I, I think there's also some piece of being fed by your local there that is important. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Yeah. Thank so, you yeah. for mentioning that too. And then I definitely want to talk about your throat spray because I absolutely love your throat spray. You've gifted me some over the years and I keep using it up. So it's a combination, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's the propolis and elderberry and OSHA. Is that right?
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Yeah. It's just fantastic for sore throats, for, I love it at the beginning of a colder flu. I mean, especially for the sore throat, but even if I don't quite have a sore throat at the beginning of like a respiratory thing, I'm just thinking- this is the stuff.
1: Totally. Yeah. It's, it's tried and true recipe that we've been making for 15 years now. And, you know, it's one of the standbys that I usually have in my pocket and we've been really happy and delighted to be able to offer to people through the last couple of years as, as viral antiviral and immune support that plant combination. You know, we, we haven't really talked yet about the the actions of propolis in the body. And, you know, I think of it, I mean, I go back to the walls of the city of, of boundary medicine of, mm-hmm. I guess, some of the bioflavonoids in propolis prevent a virus's cell envelope from opening up. And so you can have virus cells in your body and they don't have the ability to proliferate when propolis is also in your body. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's like that same action of the dead mouse. I found mice and lizards in my hives mummified in propolis of there being an antigen in the body and not needing to overwhelm it, just having healthy boundaries with it. And so, you know, propolis is anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal. is amazing for oral health, for healing gum infections and cavities. The Mm -hmm. propolis tincture is one that I will use for my my mouth health often to wish with. And I know a lot of folks do like to apply propolis resin directly to cavities or to, to mouth inflammation. And I just feel like the tincture is an extra way to make sure your body is absorbing that medicine. Propolis is really good at drawing out infections and is used topically for wound healing, for burn healing, for fighting infections, for bee stings, for many, many things. So it's kind of the tip of the iceberg there. Propolis prevents metastasis and cancer. And so once again, it's it's that boundary medicine. And, you know, propolis has been used as medicine all over the world. You know, everywhere that there's bees—in ancient Greece, in China, in Egypt, in the Middle East, even in the Americas, where Apis mellifera, the the European honeybee that we know and love and are so familiar with, was not did not arrive until the 1500s. The indigenous peoples of Latin America and South America kept uh, Melipona bees and practiced Melipona culture. The the stingless bees of the Mayas, and these bees were cultivated in in mass, massive apiaries. Some of the first conquistadors documented passing hives of gatherings of 20,000 hives of bees in, in what is now Mexico. And, you know, there was much evolved arts and culture of working with the bees and their gifts of making mead, of lost wax casting, and of working with propolis for medicine. So it is a tradition that spans the globe. And, you know, is my number one go at the first sign of infection or cold or flu is is propolis tincture and the propolis liqueur or the propolis potion is a way to take that high strength alcohol extract of a tincture and then add the tea and honey portions to make it more palatable and delicious. So I actually give the propolis liqueur by the dropper or the spoonful to my children more often than I give them the tincture because it just goes down so much easier to take that strong extract and then not exactly weaken it, but make it more palatable with just more propolis extracts and another egg I'll give to you medicine makers is after you follow the recipe for making a propolis tincture, do not discard the mark. There is so much medicine still active in that propolis that you've extracted that you can tincture again, or you can try and infuse into oil or make tea out of or infuse into honey. There's a lot of things you can do with that leftover propolis. So I hope people experiment Mm and send is telling me the most delicious thing they make.
0: Yeah. Nice tip. And I kind of can't believe I haven't had that propolis liqueur. So I'm going oh to my I can't have to get that not order some I'll from you. Me. Yeah. That's every time you buy I'm like, wait, that looks amazing. I do want to talk about your mead. I don't know if now is the best time, but I brought it up. So we might as well go with it. But I don't remember all the mead names. I've never, like every bottle I've had from you is amazing. But the one that I was just especially thinking of is your whole hive. I cannot remember the name of it. I think it's like the Norse.
1: That one's thing. called Odorir. And it's named for the origin of mead and poetry story from the, from the Viking tradition.
0: And that is to drink that mead. So it's a whole hive mead. And it's this incredible, just, it's so medicine, but it's like medicine, not as like, like, oh, that's medicine, but it's like a, it just, it's like a whole body experience. And I love on the label, it says to be read, you know, to be drunk with poetry while reading poetry. And that's often a tradition over the holidays with my farmer friends that I spend most of my holidays with, we will drink the whole hive mead and read poetry together. So that's a favorite tradition certainly can be done any time of the year though but will you talk a little bit about the whole hive mead and what goes into that
1: sure I mean obviously the whole
0: hive but I'm just saying what what, how does that how do you make that what what's all in there
1: I don't know if you want to hear the whole story right now it's like a 15 minute story the the origin of mead and poetry I don't know if we have time for that but
0: yeah maybe um, the (laughs) highlights (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I made that Mead inspired by the meads of our ancestors. You know, the separation of honey, wax, pollen, propolis is is new, you know, for for most of our time as humans interacting with bees to harvest honey meant meant death, meant death of the the colony that you were choosing, you know, throughout the the long time of the tradition of European skep hive Beehive keeping. So skeps are like the the cartoon that you think of the the baskets of that bees were kept in. Uh, the beekeeper would weigh out their hives at harvest time, and you know choose the the heaviest and the lightest to to with gratitude thank the bees for their work and service and kill them in one way or another and take that honey and use it for human use. So the the strong hives would probably, would have a harder time making it through winter. The strong and the weak hives when their populations are super high and the middling hives are the ones who are most likely to thrive and grow again in the new year. And so you know that that act would then involve the pressing of the wax and the propolis and the pollen and everything going into the honey that is is harvested and you know there are a few times where I have made mead with colonies that I cut out of walls and actually you know took living bees and comb and thanked them for their lives and immersed them in a pot of boiling water and you know, watch the wax melt and stir it all up. And you can, in those meads, I would strain out the, the wax and the dead bees and then add yeast. And um, you could taste the venom in those meads. And we did recently purchase a tool for harvesting bee venom without killing the bees. And so we are going to be experimenting this next year with bee venom as a medicine and as an ingredient into meads and spirits. And so I'm excited about that. But at this point, our, our whole hive mead has bee pollen, propolis, and royal jelly that we harvest from our bees. And, you know, we harvest each of those throughout the year and then uh, mix them all together in the mead and bottle it. And the propolis is the thing that gives the mead that this milky consistency and this resinous flavor that you know it it's truly medicinal and when we go out on the road and set up at renaissance fairs and conferences i i call all of our our projects together the pixie traveling medicine show and i like to say we we put the sin in medicine and the cure in liqueur and it's it's this you know (laughs) desire to really let your your Mead and your alcohol be your medicine in addition to your food. So
0: mm, you can absolutely taste that with it. It's just quite incredible. And then you have all sorts of other more, well, I guess that is very traditional mead, but you also have the scalitude mead named after where you live is one of my very favorites, but so many, the Persephones, I don't know, it just goes on and on. You have very a lot of different meads and a mead club.
1: You want to mention your mead club? Sure. Yeah. We we offer both quarterly and monthly options for joining our mead club. And it's the most economical way to get our meads shipped to you four times a year or once a month. And there's three different levels. There's like three bottles, six bottles, and twelve bottles. So definitely recommend folks check it out on our website, Pixie Mead, and join our our mailing list over there to to learn more and get updates about when we're going on the road and new stuff that we're offering so
0: All Right, and that's pixymead.com
1: yeah a few words about the spirit of the hive and honeyshine as a tincture menstruum you know i really believe in honoring the sources of what goes into our work and you know i look at the bees as great teachers of of, of singing to the the plants as you harvest them, you know they, that some studies have shown that the plants actually like open and lean into the bees and like change their color and and offer more pollen or nectar with the bees buzzing and song to them. So, you know it really like the difference between asking someone sweetly in a courting way or or taking something in a demanding way and you know, I really hope that the herbalists out there are are making their own medicine, are asking plants to party with them and share their healing gifts. And and I think tincture making is an awesome medium for carrying medicine with you and being able to make it absorbable in the body and keeping plants fresh throughout the year. And to go through that process and then chop up a plant and tincture it in a menstruum or an alcohol made from grain alcohol is most of the time supporting monoculture which is the very death and destruction of the wild gardens that our medicinal plants our wild medicinal plants need to thrive and so you know i'm really honored to to produce honey shine to produce an alternative to monoculture ethanol that herbalists can use to concentrate the energy of fertility, fecundity, diversity, abundance that the bees tend and concentrate in the form of honey versus the, the habitat loss and destruction that is concentrated in most Everclear that you can buy on store shelves. Yeah.
0: So I used to make all of my tinctures pretty much with Everclear because that was the most like economical thing because you want the high proof and then you can You know, then you can decide what your end of alcohol proof is, dilute it with water. So, but it's been years now since I've done that. And I'm so grateful to be able to use the spirit of the hive alcohol, because like you're saying, you know, if I'm really caring so much about how my herbs are sourced and how they're grown and wanting to contribute to this beautiful earth and not just take from it, then... That our alcohol we use is just so important so just reiterating what you said and just want to speak yeah i used to use everclear but now that's just not something i would choose to do now that we have such wonderful alternatives and i'll put this in the show notes but i do have a bitters recipe that i specifically created and wrote for the spirit of the hive medicine as a tincture so i'll share with that as well and how can people find the spirit of the hive medicines
1: yeah, so we have a website. Hillary. It's spiritofthehive.buzz, and you can find not only our honey shine there, but some of our our propolis honey liqueur, our aphrodisiac liqueur. We have two different absinths that we are making with herbs that we grow here at Scalitude, wormwood, tulsi, in addition to anise and fennel. We also use mugwort and hyssop and anise hyssop and we we make an herbal gin that's very botanical that has cinnamon and cardamom as as dominant notes and we use some blue lotus in there so uh yeah check out spirit of the hive dot buzz and find our spirits there
0: one of my favorite spirits that you make is the hawthorn and you'll have to remind me of the name it's like a drag is it the dragon hawthorn hawthorn heart what? of the
1: dragon yeah so our, our dragon hearts are the and we uh you know, it's it's our take on a whiskey. So it's a 90 proof spirit. And then we use that as the base to tincture a very special hawthorn berry, which we also infuse into honey and make a tea out of. So the Hawthorn Heart of the Dragon, it's on my list to make more. Got a bucket mm-hmm. of like hot that's frozen outside that's waiting for yeah. the thaw.
0: <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. And I've had so many. They're all delicious. The Tulsi potion is quite good. And Yeah, everything has been absolutely delicious. So you mentioned growing things at Scalitude, and I'm wondering if you would share a bit about what is Scalitude?
1: Yeah, yeah, so Scalitude is my home, and it's where Rosalie and I met at the Saskatoon Circle Earth Skills Gathering, and that was how I first met Scalitude. In 2009, I came here to teach at the second Saskatoon Circle Gathering and fell in love with this magical land. Scalitude has been a eco-retreat center since 2000. The previous owner was here for 18 years, and she built up that business hosting weddings, vacations, and wilderness rites of passage groups, and yeah she's it's just such a there's this magical meadow that's held by the hills and it's it's like no other place i've ever been the human fairy relations congress was held here for many years and it's a it's a potent place where people come to to interact with the wild and other other realms and so in 2018 i got together with my beloved and a group of people and we we purchased the land from the old owner and with the intention to build a community here and we continue to host Saskatoon Circle gathering, and that'll be on the summer solstice this year. This year, we're also going to be hosting the Northwest Herbal Gathering a uh, week before, June 9th through the 11th. So there'll be a bunch of herbalists in the neighborhood. Oh, and... no
0: way. It's going to be the Northwest Herbal Fair followed by Saskatoon Circle?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow, That's... June. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> we also began the Scalitude Pollinator Sanctuary. So, You know, it's really my strong belief that honeybees are great stewards of the ecosystem and that the the best way we can support them is to provide healthy and diverse habitat for them. So, you know, learning the abundant nectar plants in our area as a step of that, and then also learning the dearth time, the time when the season is still warm enough that bees could make honey, but there's not enough abundant nectar available for them to do it. And so planting for that time is the best way as humans, we can be allies to the honeybees. So that's one of our primary goals at Scalitude Pollinator Sanctuary. And we purchased a no-bill seed drill that allows us to distribute a lot of seed and get a lot of biological material into the soil without disturbing the ground very much at all. And so we put about a thousand pounds of seeds last, last year that were really excited with this very, very snowy winter to, to see and a very wet summer last year. We think that we're going to see a lot of perennials jumping up and flowering this year in the meadow. So hopefully if, if it's warm and dry enough wow. by June, we should have many, many colors of of plant nations, of of nectar plants that provide abundant gifts to both the honeybees and the native pollinator species.
0: That's going to be delightful. What I'm curious, I have to ask, what what plants, what seeds were in there?
1: Yeah. Vesalia is one mm. that flowers that's doing really great. Sandfoin is one that we planted first, I think three years ago, and our we've got about an acre and a half of sandfoin that's really established that is an alfalfa relative and makes pink flowers. mustard, borage, catnip, alfalfa. I'm drawing a blank on some of these chicory, got a lot of poppies going, mm. purple prairie clover, echinacea. this is this is oh just gosh. what I can. Try and yeah, provide a that's
0: going to be just so out. epic. I'm, I often walk, you know, up there and, um, I don't make it every day on my walk. Cause it is, I think three miles. Is it, do you think between our houses two or three miles, but I don't always make it the whole way, but now I'm going to have to walk. I'm just going to welcome myself into your meadow. <laughs> Cause that just sounds amazing. <laughs> when I love growing Aster for that late season and we have another friend. You know, Susie, she keeps bees on our property. But sometimes, like one year, we had a bear come and take out the bees. This year, the bees got eaten by yellow jackets, which was very sad. But I'll still see honeybees on my asters in the fall. And so I wonder, you know, are these, <laughs> do these live at Benjamin's house and they're making it all the way here for the, the asters?
1: Yeah, your garden's always so beautiful in the late summer. I always want to go over and ask you who you have blooming and who you see bees in. Um.
0: (laughs) You are always welcome to stop and ask. I would only say the problem is you might have to stay for a while because then I have to do the whole garden tour. It's like a whole thing and you know, so that, that would be like the one, the one problem. You'd be like, oh, I just stopped real (laughs) quick. And then she just would not stop talking about plants. It's a problem, but. I feel like I was so excited to talk about your lovely offerings because I'm such a big fan of them. I do want to make sure that we covered everything about Propolis that you wanted to cover. Is there anything else that you'd like to add?
1: I think we we covered quite a bit. You know, it's it's impossible to to do it justice. There's there's so many variations of propolis for every place. Uh, you know, people talk about this propolis in the Amazon that's that's green and it's super effective against staph. And and some folks who are reductionists like, oh, that's the best propolis in the world. But really, I think it's the best propolis for the bacterial conditions that thrive in that same ecosystem, which is often staph. So, you know, propolis, I just look at as a gateway into the world of the bees and Bees have been building cities out of the excrescence of plants for millions and millions of years, much longer than we've been a species. And this is what they have chosen to be their medicine. And so, you know, I just see millions of years of, of wisdom and collaboration in propolis. And yeah, it's amazing to be able to taste that and take that into your body as, as an opening into that world of the magic of the bees.
0: Hmm. That's so beautifully said, Benjamin. It's really like a great bee endorsement too. It's like if the bees love it, then. <laughs> and you have so many projects going on that we've talked about: Pixie Mead, Spirit of the Hive, such wonderful things going on at Scalitude. Did we miss anything? Is there anything else you'd like to share about that?
1: I I think that's it for now. You know. All right. You know, join. Our mailing list at our website either spiritofthehive.buzz or Pixie Mead, and stay tuned because we do take the show on the road and go traveling throughout the West. And, and further, we've been doing Renaissance fairs and other events, and we'll be continuing to take the magic of the plants and the bees out on the road in the coming year
0: which I know is a lot of fun and very entertaining. And I have not seen you traveling, but I've sent friends your way over the years at different festivals and stuff. And I know it's always a fun time. Well, that brings us to our last question, which I'm asking everybody in season seven. And I want to expand this question for you a little bit, Benjamin, to ask what advice do you have for people who are just starting out on their herbal path or perhaps people who are getting interested in bees.
1: So, on the herbal path, I would say similar to most things in life, just find what you love. Mm-hmm. Find what lights you up. Find what makes you passionate and makes you feel alive. You know, for me that was wildcrafting and getting my hands on the plants and as other parts of my life grow like and business grow, I, I find less time to do that stuff was the heart of, of what it's all about for me. So, you know, find that piece and try to structure everything else to let you spend as much time doing what you love as possible.
0: Hmm.
1: So that's, that's that. my advice for the herbalist. Bee folks, just get your hands on them. I remember the first time I helped a local beekeeper harvest honey it ended up being the beekeeper whose honey I had used for my first mead and I was like fresh out of herb school I was like 21 or 22 years old and you know I'd been making mead for four years already and I was so excited he gave me this like crappy suit that didn't really seal and I was probably in my first hive that I was working on my own and the bees got in my veil and they were stinging me all over <laughs> and I, I ran away thinking like it's not worth it it's not worth it and like. I got all the bees out of my beard and I tightened up my suit and I took a couple breaths and then I was like, it's totally worth it. And I just got Mm -hmm. right back in there and started (laughs) in the bees again and trying to be calm and methodical about it. But meet local beekeepers, get your hands on the bees, work with them. Most areas have a, a beekeeping association or some old timer who's been working with the bees in your area a lot, join that group. Find that old timer that you resonate with, even if they're not like a perfect mesh with how you like to be in the world, hang out, offer to help them. You're going to learn so much about your local ecosystem and nuances you wouldn't have even imagined from them and from the bees,
0: so. Mm. Mm, Thank you so much, Benjamin, for sharing all this wisdom. I learned so much about propolis and I am just excited to learn even more from the bees and their medicine. So thank you very much.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Really nice to join you.
0: For the listeners, don't forget to head over to herbswithrosaliepodcast.com to get free access to Benjamin's recipe for a propolis tincture. Also available are the complete show notes, including the transcript. You can find Benjamin many places online, including his website, www.spiritofthehive.buzz. See the show notes for handy links to his websites and social media. That's again at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. I deeply believe that this world needs more herbalists and plant-centered folks. I'm so glad you're here as part of this herbal community. Have a beautiful day. Hey, thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. And if you're a new listener, thanks for checking out the show. And don't forget that you can find all the recipes, links, and show notes over at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. While you're there, you can subscribe and get updates when new episodes release and even submit your requests for future podcast episodes. The world needs more people who are connected to the earth and the healing gifts of plants. I'm so glad that you're here for this adventure. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Rising Appalachia for the use of their beautiful song, Resilience. Listen to more from Rising Appalachia at risingappalachia.com.